All right, so we're, we're going to spend the next 25 or 30 minutes talking about the Bible. Why do we do this? Because God reveals himself to us in his word, in the Bible. And, and that's a beautiful thing that God would, would tell us about himself, who he is, and also what he wants from us. So we get to learn our purpose, our mission, what we were made for as we open up the Bible. So that's what we're going to talk about. Before, before we actually look at, at the words of Scripture tonight, I want to ask you a question, and I, I want you to do something. I want you to just think about how you'd answer this, and then I'm going to take answers from you. Okay, so uh, take just a moment to think about this question, then I want to hear from you all. Uh, what kinds of things do you worry about? What kinds of things do you worry about? Uh, another way to ask that, what have you felt anxious about in the past few weeks? What have you felt anxious about in the past few weeks? So if you're a writer, maybe write some of your answers, maybe on your phone or even just in your mind. Um, think about that question. All right, talk to me. What do you worry about? What do we get anxious about? The future. Future? Okay, jobs, mm -hmm. what's going to be available to you down the road? What else? Academics. Academics, yeah, your grades. Go ahead, Ethan. Appreciate your honesty, Ethan. <laughs> Everybody hear that? How parents will respond to how you do in school. What people think about you. What people think about you. Balance? Like trying to carve out time to spend with loved ones. Okay. So time, like yeah. balance of time and priorities, yeah. Yeah. Fear of oh. Yeah, fear of failure. Fear of loss, losing relationships. Fear of loss, losing relationships. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown, that's a big one. Kind of covers all these. Here are a few I wrote down. How will you get your assignments done? Will you get into the nursing program? By the way, congrats, those of you who've heard. Yeah. <clears throat> Should you have worded things differently in that conversation that you had? Will you have plans Friday night? Will you get that internship? Will you ever get asked out? Did you pick the right major? Will you find a husband or a wife? How do people perceive you? Why does no one pursue you? What will happen to you or your loved one with that scary diagnosis? This list could be endless, couldn't it? Everyone worries. We all know what it is to be anxious because we are an anxious people. And the reality is there's a lot to worry about in a world where so much is out of control and where so little goes according to plan. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that we are an anxious people. And he speaks into our worry with these words from Matthew 6. So read along with me. The words will be up here on the screen. If 
you have a Bible and want to open up there, it'll be Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Let, let me make one clarification. As I talk about anxiety tonight, I'm talking more the worry or anxiousness variety of that, not, not a, a medical like disorder that you have where your, your body responds in ways that you cannot control. Does that make sense? Like the, when the Bible talks about anxiety, it's talking about more the anxiousness and worry side of that. Make sense? Okay. So, so that's what we're taught. I just want to be clear on that. All right, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Get out of your way. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is just thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, it's just another word for those who are uh, who did not know God, who are outside Israel. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The, the text that we just read is in the middle of, of Jesus, a, a passage, a, a, a teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's kind of Jesus' version of, of Discipleship 101, like what it looks like to follow Jesus. So it, it's kind of a basic summary for living out the Christian faith. And, and I want to focus from our passage here, I want to focus on three things as Jesus talks about and addresses our anxiety, our anxiousness, the three things being, one, do not be anxious, two, your heavenly Father knows, and then three, anxiety harms, not helps. And that, that's my summation of two or three verses that Jesus gave us. I'll explain when we get there. But do not be anxious, your heavenly Father knows, and anxiety harms, not helps. So do not be anxious. At three different points, I don't know if you guys saw this, but at three different points in our pretty short text, Jesus tells us not to be anxious. Verse 25, 31, and then verse 34. In a quick Google search that I did, anxiety was defined in this way. It's that sense of uneasiness, nervousness, worry, fear, or dread of what's about to happen or what might happen. While fear is the emotion we feel in the presence of threat, anxiety is a sense of anticipated danger, trouble, or threat. 
So fear, if you think about it, can actually be helpful when it alerts us to something that could be harmful. So if you're crossing a street and you see a truck coming at you and you go, oh no, and you feel this feeling of fear, what are you gonna do? You're gonna move a little faster and get out of the way of the truck. And in that way, it's helpful. But fear can turn into anxiety which is unhelpful at best and even sinful at worst, especially when we're seeking control. And if we're honest, at the root of a lot of our anxiety is the desire for control, isn't it? We love control. Alastair Begg, a preacher I like to listen to, tells this story, and I think a lot of us will be able to relate to it. He's talking about flying. He says this, I don't know if you like to fly. I like to fly. But every so often, usually mid-flight, somewhere in the darkness of the night over an ocean, I have these paralyzing and bizarre thoughts. They go something like this. I haven't heard from the pilot in a long time. And then I say to myself, well, you shouldn't really. But then I say, I hope they're still awake. And then it gets worse, it gets epidemic, and I go, hope they're still alive. And then I say, but these planes could fly forever. And then I say, but I don't wanna fly forever, I want to land. And sometimes it gets so bizarre that I come up with a thing and I say to one of the flight attendants, I say, where are we right now? And they'll usually say, I don't know. And I say, could you check with the pilot? That way, at least I know they've had a conversation. They come back and tell me you're over the ocean, and I say, oh, that's good. I was worried we might not be. <laughs> but who do I think I am? I'm in row 27B. I've got nothing to do with flying this plane. I can't fly from row 27. I couldn't fly from the cockpit as far as that's concerned. It's irrational but it's real. And he finishes with this statement, worry reigns when I think something is up to me rather than God. Worry reigns when I think something is up to me rather than God. How much of your anxiety is self-induced because you think your life is in your hands, not God's? How often do you try to fly the plane of your life from row 27? If I'm being honest with you, this is a daily battle for me. I say that there's a God. I say that I believe in God. And that's probably a good thing because I'm a pastor. But, but often the reality is I live like a functional atheist. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Like, I'm, I'm too crafty to tell you there's not. Like, I believe there's a God. But in the day-to-day -day decisions, the day-to-day -day stuff of life, I live as if, as if he's not even there. Functional atheist. I'm slow to turn to him in prayer. 
I freak out when life doesn't go according to my agenda. I whine and I complain when things don't go my way. It's like God's not even there. When Jesus tells us not to be anxious, he's calling us to lay down our need to be in control and to trust the one who actually is. Look back at the text. Jesus uses two illustrations to tell us why we don't need to be anxious. He tells us to look at, first of all, the, look at the birds of the air, and, and then secondly, to consider the lilies of the field. And Jesus said, the birds don't sow or reap or store food in barns, but God takes care of them. The lilies don't toil or spin, but God clothes them. Your Father knows. Your Heavenly Father knows. And with those two illustrations, Jesus is using a lesser to greater Logic. If God cares for these lesser things, will he not care for you? You who have been made in his very image. You who have been redeemed by the blood of his son. You who have been adopted as his very own child. Will he not care for you? When we worry... It's evidence that we don't believe God cares or that God will provide. We're basically saying, I don't trust you, God, to care for me or to provide for me. And that's why I think Jesus in verse 30 throws in that little statement, oh, you of little faith. He's calling us back to faith. And I don't think it's as much a rebuke as it is a plea. Jesus is pleading with us to see God as our heavenly father and to believe that he cares for us. I know y'all have heard me do this before. I think I refer to Romans 8.32 every other week, and I'm going to do it again. Romans 8.32, it's so good and so clear in its logic. Here's what it says. He who did not spare his own son that he is God. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear what that verse is saying? God gave us his one and only son to be our sacrifice. On the cross, Jesus paid the full penalty for our sin. And on the cross, he gave us his righteousness. So think about it in these terms, a double exchange or a double transfer. That's why Jesus was on the cross. To accomplish, to work out this double exchange. Our sin put on Jesus. Jesus' righteousness, his perfection put on us. That's the double transfer. That's the double exchange. And it came at the cost of his life. So here's the question Romans 8 asks. If God would do that, 
how could you possibly think he would withhold anything that you need in this life? Your heavenly father cares for the birds and he cares for the lilies. Are you not of far greater value than those things? Your heavenly father knows what you need and he will care for you. But what about the times when it seems God doesn't provide? What about those times where it seems like God didn't care for us? Where God didn't hear our prayers? Like when you don't get into the nursing program or when your loved one doesn't make it through that surgery, or your disease does not get healed, or your painful circumstances do not change. Because those things happen too, right? Best way I can answer that is, is with a story. We have five children, our oldest is Nathan. And I, I wanna say he was just prior to his first birthday, because he wasn't walking at this point. We were, we were at a picnic with some friends from our church, and uh, it, was, it was in their backyard, and they had a deck, and our, our son was crawling all over the deck. We were at, you know, out there enjoying having our dinner out on the deck, and he's just crawling all around, having a great time. It was closed in, so we weren't worried about you know, him falling off. But we got home, from that picnic and my wife and I were like bathing him and noticed he had these specks all over his legs. And we couldn't figure out what they were from and so we looked closer and we realized those are splinters that, that he picked up from the, the deck that he was just crawling, all, having a great time on. And we looked at these specks, and there's like a hundred of them. We thought, we, we can't leave those in. Like, the chances of out of a hundred, one of them getting infected is, is probably pretty high, let alone multiples getting infected. So we got to do something. And we thought, well, we can take them to the doctor, but they're going to charge us an arm and a leg for something we can do here. I know, I'm cheap, I know, <laughs> I know what y'all are thinking. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so we had a plan. Terry's the better splinter getter, so she got the needle. And I put myself chest to chest with my son. And for two exhausting hours, not exaggeration, we had to take a break in the middle because we were exhausted. I laid on his chest while he screamed bloody murder while my wife just cut these splinters out of his leg. A hundred of them. It was horrible. All he could see was bad, pain. But you and I know this was exactly what he needed. It was for his good. It was for his healing. 
Do y'all see it? When Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows, part of what that means is he knows in ways that we do not. He can work things for our good and our healing in ways we could never imagine. In the same way, one-year-old Nathan could never imagine. Our Heavenly Father knows and He cares, even in ways that don't make sense to us. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? with all of you, with everything about you. Your Heavenly Father cares. Will you trust Him? Jesus also knows that our anxiety harms, not helps. And so He tells us to consider two things. First, look at verse 27. Which of you Jesus goes all common sense on us. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Do you see the common sense there? He's basically saying, uh, so when you have worried, when you have been anxious, how'd that go for you? How helpful was that? Doesn't add a single second to your life. In fact, I bet if we looked at the scientific studies, worry and anxiety probably take years off our lives. And not to mention, fill our lives with misery. They rob us of the joy. So just from a common sense standpoint, what good does it do? That's what Jesus is saying. And then secondly, look at verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What he's saying is don't add tomorrow's troubles to today's. It'll crush you. You have all that you need to face today's troubles, but if you add tomorrow's, it's going to be a burden that you cannot bear. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. So whatever troubles tomorrow brings, God's mercy will meet you there. And that's all that you need. His word tells us that. His mercies are new every morning. And so tomorrow's mercies that meet you in the morning will be all that you need for tomorrow's troubles. And then the next day, and then the next day. But don't bring those troubles into today because you cannot bear those. One of you answered fear of the unknown. Another answered fear of the future. Um, almost all of those fears that y'all mentioned were future-oriented. Jesus is speaking to that right now. Our anxiety harms, not helps. God's mercy helps, not harms. 
I want to end with four applications for killing anxiety, four practical ways for fighting our worry. I, I always like to have something to, to take home, like to do. So here are four things. First, verse 33, I, I, I take it right from that, that verse at the end of this passage. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think what Jesus is saying here, make God and his kingdom your greatest goal and your highest priority. Seek to know him, to care what he cares about. And you know what? Everything else is going to fall into place. Make that, make knowing him, make pursuing him your number one pursuit. Everything else is going to fall into place. It might not be how you want. It may not be how you drew it up when you were five and dreaming up your future life. But it will be better. Because that's what God does. Second, pray. Pray. We read it at the very beginning of tonight. Philippians 4 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, fancy word for asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Then pray. And, and don't miss the thanksgiving part. He said, with thanksgiving, gratitude has a way of sucking the life out of anxiety. So in everything, pray. And pray with gratitude. Third, memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. God's word changes hearts, but it can only do it if it's first in your heart. One of my favorite preachers likes to say, you cannot wield it like, like a sword. You can't wield it if you don't wear it. About 15 years ago, do I have time for this? Yes, I think I do. About 15 years ago, I went through a, a week-long spinal cord issue, which involved several very painful procedures at the hospital. Isaiah 41.10 got me through that. It says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I, I found myself just preaching that to myself over and over. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And God used that verse to get me through spinal tap hell. Fourth, community. Community. I feel like I say this every other week too, but okay. You and I were not made to do life in isolation. We need each other. Our worries and our, our anxieties often, the, often come in the form of lies that we tell ourselves. So how do we combat those lies when we're the very ones assaulting ourselves with them? community. We need others who will speak truth to our lives. We need friends who are willing to get in the mess with us and to wipe our goggles clean so that we can see the truth. And by the way, this means you got to have friends who know the truth. And those need to be your closest friends. One of my favorite characters from any movie really is Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings nerds, please do not come at me with details I get wrong. 
Here's what I remember. <laughs> he was the voice, Sam was the voice of truth whenever Frodo was blinded by the power of the ring. When the cloud of despair hung over those heads, Sam reminded, them, reminded both of them what was true. And here's one of the things he said. But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. In other words, this, tar- this dark time. It's only a passing thing. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Sometimes we need others to see for us what we cannot see for ourselves. This fight against anxiety is a war. You will struggle with it every day. But here's the good news. You don't have to stay in it. You don't have to stay stuck in it. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He will care for you and He is with you. So go deep in community. Know His Word. Seek first His kingdom and pray. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you help our unbelief? Even though we believe, we need you to grow us in that faith. We need you to grow us in our trust. Lord, forgive us the many, many ways we try to take control as if we can run this universe better than you can. Lord, forgive us that kind of pride. Humble us. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people of your word, a people of prayer, a people of community, whose highest priority is you and your kingdom. And the Lord, in your mercy and grace, add everything else that we need. Thank you that you know us, you made us, you love us, and you always care for us and provide for us. Remind us of that again. And thank you that the greatest evidence of that is the cross of Jesus. We thank you most of all for that. And we pray in his name. Amen.